I want to see people that look like me in a running ad versus the atypical type that we see far too often. Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable, a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favorite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Ines Babea, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller. Hello, I'm Nathan Schiller. Hola, I'm Ines Babea. Hello, I'm Jamie Chen. And welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. Today, we welcome Leandro Belnavis, founder of Unnamed Run Crew in Boston. In long distance running, the Boston Marathon is the Mount Everest of running. When I think of Boston, I think of rowing along the Charles River and like preppy clothes and visiting the tracksmith running store. Yet, a name is like a renegade, the not so quiet type of group. And as we also celebrate Black History Month with this episode, it is appropriate that we highlight achievements by African-American runners at the Boston Marathon. Yeah, and as that's absolutely right. So for our Sports Legacy segment, we're going to go to the Boston Marathon, which as many of our listeners may know, is the oldest marathon in the country. It started in 1897, but it wasn't until 1919 that a Black person ran it. And that person was Aaron Morris, who finished in sixth place with a time of 237.31, and I believe the race had 25 finishers. So, Leandro, what does Morris's achievement mean to you, or what does it make you think about? I think of uh, it was the, the catalyst to where I am right now, being a founder, um, being a advocate for accessibility within the Boston running community. Um, in prior interviews, you said that you started the Unnamed Run Crew in 2015 as an act of defiance. What did you see or experience in the running space that made you want to challenge it? Uh, that is a great question, Ines. Uh, so the running, the running scene in Boston, when I first arrived, for lack of a better term, was uh, pretty whitewashed. Um, as we just mentioned, um, a little bit more of the collegiate, uh, very much so a preppy aesthetic. And here I am trying to find myself, uh, trying to connect with the existing groups here. And I just felt like there was a true disconnect and I, I longed for a community of people that looked like me, talked like me. And, you know, um, I'm a firm believer of sometimes when we're unable to find the, the places for us, we have to create them. And that was the catalyst for Unnamed. Was, was there anything specific, thinking back on it, that, that happened, an experience you had? or something you encountered or saw that made you feel like you really had to start this group? So, that's a great question. So I, I felt that every year I would see the rollout of the Boston Marathon. I would see these Kenyan and Ethiopian runners being celebrated and regarded, but for the everyday, I didn't see that same regard. I didn't see that same energy towards black and brown people running in the everyday. Um, at the time I was living in Porter Square and I would run to work and just taking in the city and just taking in like the overall surrounding um, runners. It just, I, I didn't really see any black black and brown runners. I, I, I didn't see, I didn't see the diversity that I, I truly longed for thinking that I'm living in a, a major city. Um, so uh, one thing, uh, one thing led to another and um, I started reaching out to some friends that I, I ran alongside uh, 
for uh, the Nike uh, Run Club and started pitching to folks and saying, hey, this is something that uh, I think is very, very important and I, I'd like to venture into this. And if you're into it, cool. If not, I'll, uh, I'll see you on the other side. And that's how it began. Unnamed Run Club. So you mentioned Nike Run Club. So you're familiar with how they broke up into pace groups. Yes. What is the structure of your group? How do you guys, do you guys have like a regular schedule, a dedicated place? How does it work? Glad that you asked. So our biggest piece has been community. You can go to a tracksmith run. You can go to a heartbreak run. You can go to all the other respective runs. But I think we bring something, uh, a, a je ne sais quoi, um, to, you say? <laughs> um, it's always been about everyone running together. Um, no runner is left behind. Everyone is supported every step of the way. Um, if you want to run hard and you want to run fast, we have some folks that will lead off and they'll, they'll go their way and make their way back. There will always be folks in the middle kind of just bouncing around. And of course, we, we love the sexy pace. The sexy pace is just like, some days are great and you want to run hard. And some days you kind of want to sit in the back and kind of chat about uh, what's going on in the world and, and take it all in. What has surprised you the most in the almost six years since you started as far as being like a team leader, particularly like in Boston, I know people talk about the diversity of the city, but I've never been to Boston, but I've always gotten the sense that it's not as inclusive. So what have you seen as you're taking like a leadership position in the running community? As, as much as I want to be excited about where we are now and how how the crew culture has transformed in Boston. Um, Boston's still racist. Like, we, we see it every day. Um, we saw it in the heart of the BLM protests. We saw the interactions with police. Uh, we've seen the interactions with folks living outside of the Boston area. Um, Nothing surprises me anymore. Absolutely, nothing surprises me. Um, my first, my first marathon, um, I ran the Bay State Marathon in 2017, and it was a milestone. It was amazing, and the the lasting piece of that marathon was in the back end of that race. I had a gentleman pull up in a pickup truck and yell effing explosive um, towards me and one of my crewmates that jumped alongside to cheer me, cheer me into the back end, kind of run alongside. That is the lasting impression. So there are, there are pockets of, of hope and, and joy and I want to celebrate all wins, but like, I know what the reality is. We, we have a long way to go for sure. Andrew, that's a terrible thing to have happened. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm wondering like in the moment, was that shocking to you or was it something that you expected or what was your take in general? I actually <laughs> we kind of laughed it off. We we're just like out of, out of nowhere. It's like, so I think like the most peaceful group of people are runners. We're nerds. Like we're here just running along, enjoying ourselves, enjoying, enjoying the experience, sharing the experience. And it, it was a disruption to this person's day. It, it, I can't fathom. It's just mind blowing to me. How do I, um, I mean, if I, if I show up at Boston, how am I going to find you guys? Do I just look on Instagram? Is there like, where do you guys meet? 
Um, you can find us directly in the uh, heart of Boston. So we run out of the South End. Um, uh, we have a great partnership with our original HQ. So we started unnamed at a uh, small sneaker consignment shop on uh, 426 Mass Ave. Um, a lot has changed over the years and that small little sneaker shop has um, branched off into more store locations. Uh, we actually just said goodbye to the original location this past Tuesday and we've moved up to a larger location for more accessibility and hopefully when we have a sense of more normalcy we'll be able to host some more uh, events alongside but yeah um, you can find us um, every Tuesday uh, we're we're actually rolling out this week um, we're going to be doing bi-weekly runs uh, on Sunday as well so two opportunities to catch us Tuesday and Sunday. I, I just wanted, because we're such a New York-based podcast, if, Leandro, you could give us, like, a little bit of texture about what running in Boston is like. Like, you mentioned some of the areas, but when you go out, like, you know, when you go out running in New York City, you see people, other people running, uh, I would say a lot of all types of people, nonstop. Like, it's like gym class for adults, is Boston, does it have that same energy? Do you feel more alone on the streets? Do you, what are your, some of the places where you f feel like there's a lot of energy? How does it compare, if you have any comparison to New York? For sure. Um, I think Boston has always had a, a, a very strong scholastic and athletic like energy air about it. Um, as you said, uh, you'll see runners in droves alongside the Esplanade. You'll see runners in droves um, making their way to the common area, to the public garden. Um, there are moments of just like a, a choice encounter with uh, a crewmate or with a uh, someone from another crew alongside uh, Sunday runs. And it, it, there's nothing like it, honestly. Um, I feel like running in a city is the best way to truly be a city and take in the sights and sounds. Um, I myself, I love to run at night. Um, I'll be the type if I'm training for for anything, I'll, I'll start my runs at like 5, 6 p.m. and just watch the city change. Um, I've always been a big fan of the food scene. So I'll run alongside uh, the North End is our like historical Italian um, neighborhood. Just running alongside and just taking in the sights and smells. There's nothing like it. Did you get any pushback as you started to, as you decided to create this run crew for basically people who look like you, people who tend to be overlooked through by the brands and the industry that, you know, like you said, like you didn't see yourself in the runners that were in Boston. And then given also what happened to you after doing your first marathon. So did you get any pushback from people saying like, the, the, why do you need a separate group? Like, you know, we could all run together. We, we are united. Um, I, I don't think it was more so pushback um, to say. I, I think um, the way that we went about um, introducing people to Unnamed, it was very much so a word of mouth. Like, if you know, you know. Um, we were pulling um, anywhere from like, all right, we have five people show up. We have 10 people show up. We have 15 people show up. Um, all right, we're going to meet over here. We're going to meet over there. Um, and it just, I don't feel like there was ever a time where there was genuine pushback. I, I think there was more, more so genuine excitement to see a group of eclectic folks run through the city. 
all shapes, all sizes, all abilities. Like, there's something powerful. What's unique about your group? What makes it stand out? I mean, I know that you say that you guys are diverse, but what is, what makes this group like a standout, you know, compared to others? Well, as I've said many times before, I feel that there is, there's something for everyone in the Boston running community. I feel like every run crew serves a purpose and offers something to people. I think our key, like our, our secret, uh, our secret spice blend, if you will, is the energy. It's the people. It's it's the excitement of running through an area that you've never been to and taking in some newly laid out graffiti. It's taking in a little bit of history and heritage about the greater Boston area. It's about having that post interaction, maybe at a bar, maybe at a up and coming uh, restaurant. It, it's truly about the the dance, if you will, the bounce, the spontaneity. How did you go about creating a relationship with the businesses where you guys run from? Like, I know, for example, your very first shop was like the Lace um, Boutique store. I also hear that you have an affinity for running sneakers. Then you guys have also run out of um, 47 brand and also the Under Armour brand house and even Heartbreak Running Company. So how do you go, when you go approaching these people, how do you go to them and say, what's your pitch like so that they can let you, you know, you, someone who doesn't look like the average runner says, I want to bring people who look like me into your space to let us run. That's awesome. Um... So our, uh, I'll tell you the story about the initial meeting um, between myself and Jamil Rodriguez and Blaze. So we met at a Converse Nike holiday party. Um, so I didn't go in thinking that I was going to meet this guy. I was just like, I was working with a brand for the, at the time. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to this event. And I, I was standing in the line waiting for a drink and I, I, I realized who I was standing next to and I was like, all right, elevator pitch, here we go. And introduced myself, I was like, hey, so this is what I'm about. I'm looking to create a space uh, for black and brown folks. Uh, accessibility is very, very important. Um, these are the things that I've done and I think it would be really, really great to partner up. I see the things that you're doing in the community and I would, I'd like to leverage that and create something beautiful. And it's actually funny. I got to the, the uh, point of ordering and the bartender at the time was like, uh, you're, you're not wearing a uh, wristband. Like, I'm of age, clearly of age, be more than happy to show you my ID. She's like, can't even look at that. You have to go outside, get a bracelet, come back in. So in the middle of the conversation, I'm like, all right, here we go. Uh, I think I blew that. Go outside, show my ID, get a bracelet, come back inside, he's gone. Go to the bar, the bartender's like, hey, uh, the guy that you were just chatting with, uh, he said first round's on him, here you go. And I ended up finding him towards the end of the show. He's like, um, we can start next week. Does that work for you? And the rest was history. Um, this man still to this day supports the, the vision and we, we have left, we've worked with other brands, we've worked with uh, other restaurants, and he's always willing to come back to the original fold. Uh, in 2020, um, of course, things were a little bit more difficult to assemble, of course. Um, and when we were we took a, a mild uh, break and we came back to things in July and we're like, how are we going to go about this? What safety measures are we going to pull in? What are we looking at for location? Let's kind of play it by ear. And then once it started to shift 
to colder weather, he was the first person to say, um, so you guys are back, right? So it's, it's a beautiful thing when you're able to solidify great relationships within the community. You work for the Nike Converse part of Nike? Is that where you were? And I, do you think, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I was gonna say like, what do you think brands can do better in making running more inclusive? Not just, I think a lot of it has to do with the images that we see uh, as far as like when they're promoting whatever the latest, you know, running shoe or the latest, like, um, you know, leisure sneakers. Like, what do you think, as someone who has worked in the industry, and this is like across the board, not just Nike, is like the same for like Under Armour and Adidas. Like, what can they do better so that everyone feels that they belong and run in? That's a great question. I've, I've always gone back to the old Nike adage, if you have a body, you're an athlete. So taking that in mind, if I have a body and I have the ability, then I am an athlete. Um, I always look for more diversity as in bodies. I want more body positivity. I want to see people that look like me in a running ad versus the atypical type that we see far too often. Um, diversity doesn't start, it doesn't end with having one person of color in front of the camera. It's a full cohesive piece. So let's talk about, let's talk about the creative directors. Let's talk about the team that is putting this, this uh, vision together. Like, that is what I want to see. Like, it's one thing to see the image, but I want to know that the full cohesive piece is following the same suit. I was, I can visualize exactly what you're explaining. Like, I think we're at, you know, I was just talking about how we need to see faces that represent diversity. But, I mean, I'm going to bring it back to Tracksmith, right? It's a brand in Boston, and, you know, they're known as, like, the J. Crew of, I guess, running clothes or you know they're they're like up there um and they they have tried to have diverse looking faces but i i feel if i'm looking at it you know i just don't feel that it's really a about a diverse culture even though they have had a few black bodies uh, advertising their clothes how do you where did you work before but and you know and like look i look at nike and they also have representation too and i just feel like nike is a little bit more pushing towards diversity compared to like Tracksmith. So why does it feel different? You know, how can, can you explain that to me? You know, like if we're talking brands, like yes, Tracksmith put like a black lady and a, and a black guy and they've, you know, looking at their stories now and their ads and their magazines, but I don't still feel that they're really promoting diversity versus I see Nike trying, but I feel like maybe Nike's getting the point lately. I feel like Nike's looking at the, uh, the bigger picture um, we've seen more, more of an, an advancement of the silhouette. Like it is, it is a, an amazing time to be alive in that sense. Um, I feel like Nike has always been an innovator. So, you know. You worked um, for Nike before? I, I did work for Nike. In marketing? You sound like you have a marketing background. No, 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 no. I did not work uh, marketing. Um, I just feel that that Nike has always had the adage of innovation being their strong suit. So someone has to lead the charge somehow. Leandro, when you said like, uh, and I think you're right that everything has to come at all levels. Like you mentioned creative director as an example and a whole team of people putting something together. So it sounds like you're pretty um, optimistic about the direction this is happening. What about, um, do you have an experience working with people who are like in positions of real power and do you feel like they get it when they talk about all these things that we're discussing and we'll continue to discuss during this podcast that they understand that this is kind of the future of running for, from a, you know, a moral perspective and also maybe from a business perspective? 
I feel that uh, people that I have come across and we've had these difficult conversations with are open to feedback and they are looking for folks like myself to kind of lead them into the right direction. Mm. Um, there's definitely some work to be done. Um, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a very strange time right now. And I, I don't want it to sound as I feel that certain things are performative, but <laughs> sometimes it feels that way. Performative uh, so far that you've seen? I, I've seen a, uh, a shift of attention towards the movement, as in the, the Black Lives Matter movement. I've seen a shift towards a focus towards more of a, uh, how do I say? All of the atrocities that we've seen are nothing new. Um, we go through the same thing year after year after year. And I think it's great and dandy to have folks now engaged in the conversation. I think the, uh, the pandemic as, this is one of the silver linings of the, the pandemic, because we had to slow down and we had to take our focus and there was no avoiding it, if you will. So we're, we're faced with some, some more difficult conversations You mentioned that you've seen you've seen a focus going more towards diversity and for example uh, Tracksmith actually started the Tracksmith Fellowship where they're giving people diverse voices a chance to be to be creative and just to have bring different voices to their their space um, but I think I if, if I understand correctly it's like in a sense what you're saying that whenever there's always this diversity push and then, but you're like, but this happens, it's cyclical. It happens all the time. Why do we need to have something to happen for this to stick? You know, like, why, why, why can't we, can we make it that it is also, is it that the marketing, the brands think that it needs to make business sense? So where do we value, do we value more like business the, or the community that we want to create? I feel like most people, most companies don't have the idea of, of people, people over profit. Um, it's, it's unfortunately the, the sad case. Um, I, uh, I've, I've seen some great works from some brands and uh, the efforts are, are well felt and appreciated, but you know, just hoping for others to follow suit, to see the examples and to follow suit. Have you seen any brands fall short? No comment. <laughs> okay, let's move Wait, on. No comment. <laughs> this is the space to get it's not, it's not. It's not you know, trashing a brand. What I mean is, yeah, it's how, really trashing. How, how can you, if you had to give advice to like a brand's ad campaign, like, oh, that was great but you fell short in this area, boom. You know what I mean? It's like, I would say constructive criticism. Like, I think you made a great initiative, but let's continue it in this place. Like, I, I, I think sometimes we need to think about not just showing faces in, in the ad, but the faces behind. I think we need diversity in decision-making places too. For sure. Um, I think the point phrase of of this time for me is well-intentioned, but completely missing the mark. Um, but again, in, in what specific so way? 
consumer in a specific way. These were like, I'll know that, you know what? They did this. I'm not going to spend my money with them. So you got to, like, for example, like my history with Nike has been like, I actually started running when I was like overseas, when like NRC started. And, um, you know, we used to like sign that through Facebook or whatever. And when I started running, I didn't pay attention to shoes. I would just like go to models and just pick whatever was cheap, whatever was on sale. I had no brand loyalty, you know what I mean? And then when I came back to the States and I was like, all right, I think NRC is gonna come, is gonna start here. Then I started paying attention more to like, you know, you actually need like a shoe that is going to be fit you properly for the way that you land, the way you carry your, you know, your body when you're moving. So I paid attention to that. And my loyalty started because that's for the people that I knew. I, I like the Pacers. They felt like a family. So, I, you know what I mean? Like in a sense, like that's how the loyalty kind of starts. But then there was also like a little bit of, a, you know, the controversy with like, you know, what happened with Addison Felix and like, wait, how is this the same company that is pushing to, is at the forefront in diversity, but then for mothers who is the top performer, now you need to really have like, um, things in your contract to say that you will get paid only if you perform at this level and just show like this was like a push against women and creating families because like a man is never going to have that in his contract you know what I mean so like I think now as adults we are able to say like okay this is what I stand for I want my money to go here so this is what I'm saying like letting us know about what has happened that has made you think that you know what these people fell short how can we do better Perfect. So I think of brand setting up a DEI is a is a great move, making a statement alongside the atrocities. Beautiful. However, where is the actual work? Where is the actual follow through? How are you using your your audience? towards good? How are you using your influence towards good? What are, what are the actionable steps to follow through? I think that is the, uh, the bigger argument. Do you think that, as, as you said, 2020 gave us a chance to really think about what was happening? Do you think that running an activism could go hand in hand, given that how historically, whenever like black men have wanted to use sports to like stand up they're being blacklisted like muhammad ali and then even colin and then john carlos and tommy smith do you think this will impact you as you continue to be active in the community and you continue to want to bring people to run is that something that you think about at all i think running has always been a vehicle uh, for me, for change and disruption of the norm. So, like, I feel that it does go hand in hand. Um, I think uh, one of the the things that um, truly stood out within the last year is we were able to take the energy from our runs and put that towards active protests. We uh, hosted two uh, successful uh, rides um, to celebrate the life and legacy of Breonna Taylor. Um, we brought out over 400 riders and supporters um, to bring more awareness to the countless stories. Breonna Taylor is not the only story of, of women that um, suffer through the hands of the system. So, Leandro, how do you um, manage the you know, formidable task of bringing in all the people who need to be recognized and also, um, you know, people who have been victims of discrimination? And how do you also bring in people like across Boston to um, help you protest or, you know, just to all be activists together. Like, is that a daily challenge for you? Or do you find that 
it's very easy for you to recruit and educate and bring people in through the running. I think it's a, it's a little bit more on the easier side because there are so many reputable uh, organizations coming together and that are open for collaboration. Um, we had the pleasure of working with Ride for Black Lives for our second initiative. Um, and at the time we were um, reaching out to the respective Freedom Fighters Coalition and other small organizations. So mobilizing was very, very easy. Um, using the power of social media and word of mouth uh, goes a long way. Um, over the summer, you held the run called uh, Run Against Racism, where you collaborated with Pioneers, Pioneers Running Club, founded by Sidney Baptista, another um, Black man. And then you also collaborated with uh, Coach Dan Fitzgerald, the co-founder of Heartbreak, Heartbreak Hill Running Company, and the coach for Heartbreakers. How did this collaboration come about, given that while well, you and Sydney could share on your experiences as, as Black men running to bring in someone whose experience in, in running is completely different. Like, why did you feel the need to, that this was an important collaboration? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, so we, we came together um, after um, the, the general news of Ahmaud Arbery broke. Um, we just wanted to get a group of people together. Um, there was a um, there was an organizer that was reaching out to the running community to set up a, a run in memory of Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, so she reached out to myself. She reached out to uh, Coach Dan and Sid Batista, and um, we all kind of came together with our respective outfits and. Um, um, it was, um, it was a beautiful thing. After that, um, Dan reached out and wanted to form a coalition, if you will, and see if there was opportunities for all of us to come together and as a, as a cohesive unit of the Boston running community and, um, make change where we could, um, it, it was um, in, a, in a time where COVID is, is rampant and we're not 100% sure of, of the, the full story, if you will, um, for us to be able to bring these, these engagements together was, was pretty solid um, and, and very important. Can I ask you, how did you, you brought up Ahmaud Arbery, um, and as a Black man, can I ask you, how did you feel? What was your experience when you saw his death? Well, my parents live in uh, Georgia, so going home, I always have the, uh, the uh, if you will, um, the fear, the uh, the uh, the little voice in the back of my head, like I have to, I have to run in a certain area. I I'm not a hundred percent sure of which direction to turn. As in, like these encounters happen every day. Like Ahmad Aubrey could have been me. Um. I was just going to ask you that, like you, when you were watching it, you probably, you feel these things when you run, even before his murder, you've, you've, you felt this too. For sure. Um, I, I have been uh, stopped um, running while black. I have, I have encountered comments i have had people drive up alongside and say things so of course i identified um it it just seems like if running is is a crime if 
if that is a an, an offense that um, requires another to interject, what are we doing? Like, running is supposed to be free. Like, it's a mindful practice. The whole idea behind it, I should be able to lace up, go out my door, run my distance, come back, and and come back safely. Um, Leandro, uh, do you have conversations about this sort of stuff uh, with white guys in particular? Um, and if you do, what do kind of reactions do you get? Are people surprised? Um, do they not believe you? Do they say that it's something they've never even thought about? I think the, uh, the company I keep, um, are uh, well aware of of what the world looks like, so I don't I don't think I don't think I've ever been met with uh, with doubt in that. Um, the conversations are usually a little bit more so of a dialogue on, you know, what can be done to support others? What what can be done in in their own way of supporting a black and brown runner in their neighborhood? Like, I think uh, it's created an opportunity for us to have some really, really solid conversations. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think never doubt <laughs> for sure. One of the things that um, has come out of the, the tragedy was that um, Ahmad's cousin and a former coach, uh, Demetrius Frazier and Jason Vaughn, uh, created the, the 223 Foundation that, whose goal is, is, is to raise money uh, for scholarships to allow you know, people of color to become lawyers, social justice, um, crusaders, you know, going into the field to like demand social justice. They're going to be launching a virtual run on, on February 23rd. What are your plans for that in regards to the found for that run? So as soon as we got word, we, we jumped on in. So we are in the process, we'll be announcing tomorrow we will be doing an in-person version of that run because uh, it does fall on a Tuesday um, to coincide with the initiative that we're, we're uh, doing for the month of February, celebrating Black-owned, uh, which is a nod to the, the small Black-owned businesses within the greater Boston area. Uh, we're going to be partnering up with one of our uh, one of our friends in the industry, the uh, the Comfort Kitchen, and we'll be doing a takeout pop up to coincide with the run. We're really excited about that. We're also going to be selling our kits, and um, twenty three percent of our sales are going to be going towards the Two Twenty Three Foundation. I wish I was going to Boston that weekend. Then come stay for the week. <laughs> we got you. Come on down. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. And, and I also I noticed that you mentioned that you also partner a lot to promote Black-owned businesses in Boston. Why is that important to you as well? Well, we do know that Black-owned businesses are generally small businesses. And a lot of the overall businesses within communities have been deeply affected. Um, we don't want to see another business close. Uh, support is support now is crucial more than ever. Uh, so we definitely want to rally behind our favorites. We definitely want to rally behind uh, that entrepreneurial spirit. You said you're not a typical runner, but what does uh, that mean to you? Uh, and what is a typical runner, whether as a guy, a black man? Um, or just you know an urban runner, like someone in the city versus someone rural. What does that mean to you? 
the A-frame typical runner in, in my eyes is uh, just the the lanky exterior, very much so like featherweight, if you will. Um, I am not any of those things. Um, I like to joke around and say that I am, I'm a big, big body Benz, if you will. Um, <laughs> I like I'm that. A, I'm a Mack truck with a, with a Hemi. So, you know. <laughs> I would say out of this entire group of podcasters, um, Nathan probably is the only one that fits that stereotypical runner, because I know I don't, and Inez and I have spoken at length about that feeling. Well, speaking yeah, of that, where are the women in in your group? Like, I think when you and I were speaking, like, pre-podcast, um, I think you mentioned that are you guys going to, is someone creating a women-only group? Like, how, how is that going? Uh, yeah, so there is, within uh, last year, they unveiled, you have the Trailblazers. Uh, they are doing phenomenal things. They started as uh, doing um, bra runs and they have formed into this amazing, amazing run crew. And uh, they are crushing it right now. Wait, are, are they part of like unnamed or are they just their own separate thing? Or is it, is it like your sister, your sister group? So our, our former co-captain, co-lead um, has stepped out of her role and she has branched off into Trailblazers. And what is her name? Her name is Miss Liz Rock. Ah, okay. Okay. Awesome. I like that name. It's it's a solid name. She's a rock star. So you have uh you have Liz, you have Francis, and you have Abeo, the uh the power trio. So hopefully you put in a good word for us and we reach out to her like, hey, we, we want to feature <laughs> women in leadership because we haven't seen, there are out there, but just like, they're outnumbered by the men. I'm, I'm actually, um, I see more women in the Boston running community versus men. That, that might that might just be my take, but I definitely see more women out there running. No, men. but I mean, as far as like the woman who was leading the group. Oh, that's what I mean. For sure. Didn't we it's see? Fun. I was just gonna ask. Didn't we see you in Runner's World? I remember uh, seeing. I was reading an article. Uh, one of my friends was in in an article, and your group was right after them. Um, are you? You resident runners? Yeah, but how did you get into it? Give me the 411. Uh, so we were approached by, um, the author's name is Matt Gross. Um, he was doing a story on the emerging, well, I wouldn't say it's emerging because there were always these existing staples for run crews. Um, but this the story was emerging uh gangs uh forming and this running throughout the city and like who they are and 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 just more so profiles. So it was uh it was kinda out of the blue. We we got like an email inquiry and then we got like a random like bounce back message and I I was completely blown away. I, I didn't think it was gonna happen. And lo and behold, um, he was the real deal. And um, it happened, it was surprising for sure. So Andrew, you said you've, I think listened to maybe some of our episodes. If you, you were one of those brave listeners who got all the way through with us, then you know we have a hot mic section coming up. But before we do, I just wanna close out I'm wondering what your running life was like when you were young. Because it's always interesting to hear where people who are so active on so many levels um, came from. 
So my running journey started a little bit later than, than expected. Um, so let's talk about that. So my running <laughs> journey, my running journey started as a bet, if you could believe it. So everything in my life changed on this fateful day in 2014. Uh, my roommate challenged me to run a, a, a couch to half marathon program. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you guys get a chance to uh, visit Connecticut off, often, but there is a race that happens uh, in February, uh, it's in Colchester, Connecticut, in the middle of nowhere, it's rural, um, called Tough as Nails. And this is a no frills, there's no medals. I, I think they just started offering shirts. Uh, the, the race coordinator rides around on the ATV with a megaphone and it's, it, it, it's, it's something that nightmares are built from. Sounds like something for you, Nathan. <laughs> Nathan? I like the no frills. That's I Nathan. I race every year. Please let me know. I'll be there next time I can. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back on, back on subject. Uh, at the time, I was in really, really bad shape in all senses. Mm. Um, I definitely burned the candle on both ends. Uh, I was working, working uh, during the day, DJing, throwing parties at night. I knew that I needed to make like an active change in my life and go towards more healthier outlets. So I decided to make a commitment to myself and, and started my training. I tell you this, like my first couple of weeks were not pretty. Um, I lived next to rolling hills and my roommate would love to wake me up at eight and say, all right, so uh, we're just gonna go for it. He would be like a quarter mile down with a friend or two and I would just be completely just a puddle, just <laughs> trying to reach for them. And uh, yeah, it, it was a process. But I went through the full plan and about like two weeks before the race, I, I, remember, I remember this vividly. I, I inquired uh, if my roommate was going to run alongside and he, he pretty much laughed at me. He's like, so I just want this to be abundantly clear. I didn't do this for me. I can run this, I can run this race anytime. And this was like his his uh his super talent he would say oh i want to run this race no training whatsoever probably like hop skip and just go for it i then convinced uh, a friend to join me in in this uh this task and uh he accepted and um yeah um, there is something about rolling hills in the middle of Connecticut that will break your spirit and will make you humble. So I use that race as a reset. I've been running this race since 2014. I've only missed it once because I was injured with a stress fracture in 2018. Um, but yeah, um, it is that race for me. It is my, it is my, uh, is my whale and I am Moby Dick. And <laughs> I that race every year and I love it. I'm a glutton for punishment for that race. Well, that's great. I think everybody's um, entry into running is comes differently. I think like Jamie also started on a bed. And I think, I think actually for me, I don't think it was a bet, but I remember um, when I was overseas and uh, a friend of mine said, hey, did you know there's like a, there's a Paris half marathon? And I was like, really? Okay, let's see what that's about. And I remember like I found a group of like expats that were, that were run together. And I remember, so we started the race or whatever. And I'm like, and it's in kilometers. So I'm like, I get to the, the seven and I'm like, oh, this is all good, whatever, whatever. And then I got to 14 and I was like, what? No, it's 20, honey, 20. No, no I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Because in the excitement, you kind of start like, you know, like I don't have any like, you know, uh, 
Jamaican heritage, but I was like, I am going to channel my Usain Bolt. <laughs> you know what I mean? And quickly, I was like, uh, yeah, no, this is this is going to be painful. But I remember just like this sense of pride when you cross that finish line. You know what I mean? And then I had uh, stopped drinking for that. And then we were at the restaurant and I had like a glass of wine and like halfway through the glass, I'm already twisted. I'm like, yeah, this is what happens when you, when you train so clean and then you celebrate. Yeah. That's it. I'll tell you this. I I think uh, Paris, there's something about Paris when you run a race. Mm. But wait, that was one of your marathons, right? He did a half in you did a half in Paris also, right? I did a full marathon. Oh, oh, the full marathon. We just talked about this in the beginning. Yeah. I did the What was that like? Full marathon. Um the people, the level of support is chef's kiss. It it was something else. Also, Again, I, I feel like I have an affinity for these random rural races. The better duration of the race, you're not in the city. You are taking in the countryside. You're just like, all right, cool, this is awesome. Where's the nearest bathroom? Um, all right. Um, and then out of nowhere, there is a band playing. And then you're back into the woods and you're taking in the scenery, you're working on your breathing, and then out of nowhere there there is a there is a uh, a chorus line, if you will. Um, expect the unexpected in Paris for sure. As um, Nathan said earlier, we're reaching into our hot mic segment where, as you say, if you've listened, you get two, two minutes. Two minutes uninterrupted. You have to get to leave our listeners with a final thought. You can campaign for like a pop star, you know, if you want. <laughs> I got a campaign for a pop star. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, that's a reference. And you our... definitely won't be timed or anything. Oh. <laughs> Nathan's got oh, the stopwatch. All right, here we go. Go as long as you want. So I think in retrospect, 2020, 2020 has been a very, very interesting year for all of us. Um, I, have, I have looked at it as a, a point of reflection. Um, I've looked at it as an opportunity to have hard conversations with myself, to look at where I've come as a runner, look at the accomplishments alongside, and position myself in the idea of manifesting what I want for my community at large, my running community at large, my Boston community, my global community. there, there was a silver lining to the pandemic. We had a moment to slow down. We had a moment to really smell the roses and think about our relationships, think about our impact, think about how we want to move outside of this pandemic. One of the key things that I have been pushing for within uh, the new year, I've challenged a lot of friends, I've challenged uh, the crew to get back to basics and look at running as a full holistic experience. I feel that a lot of folks, wherever you subscribe to, um, there's always an argument of this person has this training plan. This celebrity trainer is telling you how to get this type of body. 
and and you can do this, this, and this to get the the abs of your life or what have you. I feel the focus is always on the physical and less on the the mental attributes. The mental attribute should be in the same category in the, in the the same level as the physical. So that being said, I've challenged my friends, I've challenged um, my crewmates to kind of slow down, look inward, and think about the full breakdown. To disconnect, to remove all the unnecessary distractions. Because we know as runners, we get out there, we have our headphones, our, uh, we have our headphones, we have Garmin, we have, we have to sync up this, we have to hit a certain time. There was a time where running was very, very simple when we were children. We'd just go out there and just run until we were tired. I think more than ever, we need to get back to making running fun, making running therapeutic, making it a mindful practice, building our foundation, and then moving forward with that. Time. Three fifty four twenty nine. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, he broke another record. He broke another record. <laughs> Thanks, Leanne. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Uh, Leanne, that was very well said. And thank you for um, coming on with us and being our first guest from Boston. Um, you're doing sounds like amazing things in the city with your group, and I know that you know, you'll continue to do that. Um, so I want to wish you the best now and in the future. And to close out the show, I want to give a very special thanks, of course, to my co-hosts, Jamie and Inez, um, who's also our producer. And also I want to give a shout out to Claudia Tischler, who does a fantastic job on our Instagram. Um, and of course, to our listeners. We'll see you soon on the next episode of Let's Get Uncomfortable.